Joining us now, our good friend who hopefully has got a little bit of R&R, a little rest and relaxation, very busy time of year, our good friend from ESPN and who joins us uh, each and every week. And he joined us on Monday, really had a great conversation with him regarding the college football playoff rankings, Trevor Maddich, and he joins us now. Trev, what's going on, brother? TC, uh, it's great. Part of the reason it's great is that, nope, there's no breaks. Uh Spent all day today doing stuff. One of them was building a, you know, breakdown tape, which we're in the process of doing now for Friday because I've got half time of the FCS playoff game, and it's going to be really fun. They they wanted me to do something on Jaden Daniels, the LSU quarterback, as we do different things over the course of Friday and Saturday leading up to the Heisman ceremony. And so I'm looking at tape of Jaden Daniels, and and what I noticed. Was, you know, not just, we just don't want to say, look, he throws good, look, he runs good, back to you, Bob, you know, that kind of a thing. I'm noticing that the dude is hilarious when he runs the ball because of the wreckage that he leaves in his wake. I mean, you got defenders, you know, falling down, being flat on their face, flying through the air, and then being flat on their face, all trying to catch this guy because he, he's got over a thousand yards rushing. He leads all quarterbacks in, in rushing yards. And so it's just tremendous fun. So that's kind of what's keeping me busy right now is getting that breakdown ready for Friday. And no one does it better than Trevor Manich, no question about it. And like I said, great conversation that we had uh, on on Monday with your reaction uh, to the college football playoff, the four teams that were announced. So, Trevor, let me ask you, uh, since you know you were on the set uh, immediately thereafter, did a fantastic uh, job on ESPN and then Championship Drive, the, the marathon show that you did, uh, breaking down all aspects of not only that and then other bowl games. So now that the dust is, has settled a little bit, and since you were on the set and then talked to us on Monday, um, any, any second thoughts or does any anything like has settled in or either changed your mind or anything else come to come to your mind in the last 48 hours regarding you know the the four teams no uh not for me i mean i i you know i thought the i, I thought the four teams should have been washington at 1 michigan at 2 and you can flop those which the committee did and i'm fine with that um and then texas then alabama i thought florida state should have been out and uh, and the dust hasn't settled. I mean, people, people are pretty heated about that and they, they feel pretty strongly about it. And the thing is, people that believe that Florida State should have been in instead of being number five, they should have been number four, have a great point. You know, Florida State won all their games and they won the two games at the end of the season without their starting quarterback. And so, uh, so you can make a great case. Plus for Florida State, it's just super difficult because they, their coach can't look at the team and say, look, guys, we lost the game. Here's why we lost the game. We messed up this and this, you know, we got to get better at that so that we're undefeated next year. And then they can't even say that there's no closure that way because they did everything they were asked to do. And the reason the committee left them out ultimately is at least the biggest reason is that when their starting quarterback got hurt, uh, the committee saw them play without him in the last two games. And they saw that the offense, especially the passing offense just disappeared. And it is in the committee's written criteria that they are allowed to consider key injuries in whether or not a team is currently uh, one of the best four in the country. And people that make that case for Florida State, it's very satisfying to make. It's very satisfying. The problem is you then have to say also why Alabama or Texas should not have been in. 
all of a sudden things get really muddy. And so when people start talking about Florida State should have been in, here's why. I want to hear them say why the other two should not have been in, or at least one of them. Uh, because if they don't say that, then I, I, it's it's mildly interesting because it's a package deal. Unfortunately, yeah, it seems to be a, a package deal. And you and I talked about this on, on Monday. And I have no problem with Florida State being out. And I think that, you know, if, if you follow the sport and you break it down, and I, I you know, not to disparage anyone but you know i'm not saying the, the the novice person who really doesn't follow college football they're just going to look at that the o they're going to look at 13 and O. they're a conference champ and, and that's fine but you know like you said when you look at the criteria conference championship means something okay strength of schedule means something head to head means something comparative outcome means something and then the big one here key players available at the end of the season it means something and a lot of times that doesn't you know, it's not appropriate, but in this situation it is because, as you said, you know, Florida State is not the same team that they were earlier on. And that's unfortunate. And you can say, yes, feel sorry for the rest of those kids and the defense played well. Great. And you said the exact same thing that I said, and you said it on championship drive on ESPN in front of a worldwide audience. And you said, Florida State really is comparable to Iowa right now. And you are so right. We are right because Iowa's got a great defense, but I'm sorry. Florida State's offense looks a lot like Iowa right now because they do not have a quality quarterback. And that kind of begs the question too, Trev. It's like, you know, most of these, these, you know, universities, these high powered power five programs that are very, very good, they have a guy that can step in and do an adequate job. I'm really kind of amazed at Florida State having two freshmen, uh, their second string and their third string quarterback who really are not very good and there is a big drop off and when you know you tell me if you're you know saying Florida State should be in then tell me why you only scored 16 points against Louisville okay because I don't want to hear about Louisville okay they're good no they're not and they Florida State scored three field goals in one touchdown you had 55 yards of passing from your quarterback and you had a total of 219 yards of total offense so I think we all know Florida State goes in against any of the teams that are in there. Number one, they're going to be a double-digit underdog, which means something, and they're going to be non-competitive. And I feel I feel worse for Georgia because I feel that Georgia is still today one of the four best teams. So Florida State, I got no problem saying, hey, you're out. But like I said, you go through that criteria. The one thing it doesn't say that you have to be undefeated. So the people that are saying, hey, they're undefeated uh, conference champion, to me, so what? You know, so what that you are undefeated? The committee is not factoring in undefeated, but I think that the general public kind of puts more of an emphasis on that than maybe the committee did. And, you know, again, what product are you putting on the field, uh, you know, on, on, on December 30th? And the product that Florida State has right now is is probably not even a top eight or nine team. Yeah, and then the, the the biggest problem I think you you have as you look at Florida State now and in their case to be in is not necessarily them. It's the crowd of people. I mean, there's there's four teams with legitimate claims at the last two playoff spots. Texas and Alabama who got in, Florida State and Georgia. I mean, how did they go from the best team in the nation for three straight weeks to number six because they lost a game by three points to the team that ended up number four in the nation, right? 
so, you know, all four of those teams had a great case. In years past, it seemed like with three weeks to go, there were a whole lot of, of teams that would be vying for that fourth spot. And then the season would shake out. It was, would resolve itself. And there really wasn't a whole lot of controversy. In the end, it was like, yeah, okay, I get it. These are the top four and number five. You know, I, I get it. You know, there have been some uh, controversies, but nothing like now. So Florida State in any one of seven, let's say, of the 10 years of the playoff would have been in anyway. The problem was the crowd at that spot. And remember this, too. When it comes to taking into consideration the uh, you know key injuries, the comp that everybody's been talking about, you and I have talked about it also, but it's important, the comp is Ohio State in 2014. They lost their starting quarterback in the last game of the regular season, and the committee said, okay, well, we're going to see how the backup plays in the Big Ten championship game. It was their only chance to see if Ohio State was the same or worse or better, but they, they watched that game. Ohio State beat Wisconsin 59 to nothing. The committee said, okay, they're rolling with their backup quarterback. It looks like there's not much of a drop-off in the sample that we have to see, and they put Ohio State in. And so this is where it, it compares badly for Florida State. And, and I feel terrible for them because, you know, I mean, how many chances do you get? Unless you're Alabama, Georgia, you know, those teams, Michigan, most teams are going to have a chance to get into that playoff Every once in a while, Florida State's in a position where they're an every once in a while team right now. They're not a perennial threat to get there. Not yet. And so this was their opportunity and they, their, their head coach, their athletic director, the commissioner of the ACC were all, they were so, let's put it this way. In their comments, they held nothing back. They fought hard for the players that they felt deserved it and they did. And they were, I think, verbally incredibly, um, let's put it this way, as strong as they possibly could have been uh, in, in making their case. And so in doing that, they probably alienated some people. But either way, they, they felt strongly about it, and they said what they needed to say. Um, overall, it's uh, it's sad because Florida State in most of the years would have made it. Just this one, there's too many people. And so you have to you have to separate them somehow. Yeah, and unfortunately, big unfortunately, you know, it this year there were a lot more than four teams. But it just you know, and we go back to the big picture here, Trevor. Yes, next year it's going to be better. But you tell Georgia that, and tell Florida State that they don't want to hear that. You get the twelve team playoff, so a lot of this you know should should cure itself next year. But the big picture is, you know. The NCAA, College Football Committee, whoever you want to put the blame on, you know, a lot of people may not uh, remember this, but this 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 playoff, you know, was was a situation that they debated heavily even last year. That like, okay, well, you know, maybe we'll expand it to twelve, but then they had some infighting and in, you know discussions amongst the the ads and everybody go, well, let's do this one more year and this and that. Just the big picture. Why is it taken 
you know, this long when we have been living with a 16 team playoff at the lower levels, call it division one, call it division two, FCS nowadays or whatever, 50 years, 1973, they got it done right at the lower levels. The NCAA basketball committee has done a fantastic job forever. And you can make the argument like I did yesterday that this is the most imperfect system in all of sports is what the college football uh, committee's doing, NCA, whoever you want to blame. But then on the other side, the NCAA basketball committee is probably doing the, is, is the most perfect because they're inviting just about everyone in 68 teams. Why, Trevor, has it taken so long for this to finally get it right next year? Well, because the school presidents didn't want it. Ultimately, they're the ones with the power. But but why? And, I guess that's what everyone yeah. has a problem gripping. Like, why wouldn't you want it when you've seen it work at the divisions below you? Yeah, there's, a, there's a couple of reasons. One is that you know if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And they waited till the, they thought the the you know it started out where the, the newspapers, uh, you know, writers and coaches had a poll, and that's who decided it was the national champion. You know, then they went to the BCS where they had computer formulas to put what the computers thought were the best two teams into one game for a, a one, one game playoff, essentially. And then we expanded it to four, which is what we have now. And now we're going to 12, right? So why, why didn't they uh, go to, go to four earlier? Why didn't, why didn't they go to 12 earlier? Part of it was that things were really rolling. Another part of it is that there is a legitimate concern on the academic side, the school presidents and, and the people on the academic side that too many games will start to detract from the student athlete's ability to be a student athlete. And I get it that on the FCS level, they've been doing this for a long, long time. I, I, I used to do, uh, the FCS championship game, the, the final, the, the final four essentially, and then the championship game of, uh, of FCS. So I got to talk to these guys a lot. And now I do, I do a lot of halftimes and pregame shows and stuff for it. And those guys are, they're doing finals on the plane to and from the game. And it's working out okay. Sometimes instructors will come with them uh, or tutors or representatives to make sure the finals are done the way they need to be. You know, it's all kinds of stuff. But I think at the higher level, at the FBS level, you still have a lot of resistance by those presidents to add more games because of the distraction it would be. And when those distraction happens relative to the end of semesters, the beginning of semesters, things like that. So, so that's one thing. Another is the wear and tear on people's bodies. There's only a, a small number of schools that'll have, you know, extra games because most of them, you know, half of them are going to get knocked out in the first round, you know, and then a few more are going to have a few extra games. But one way around that is to do what the NFL did. The NFL had a 16 game regular season with one bye week for all the teams. They expanded that now to 17 game regular season and they added a bye week. And that, that's a possibility. You could push or you could start the college football regular season a week earlier in the summer and start training camp earlier uh, and then have an extra bye week later in the season to allow guys' body to kind of recuperate before you finish up the season. And that's one way around that. But these are things that I think have been of concern to the academic side. Now those things apparently have been resolved because, you know, they're they're going to 12 teams next year. But I think it's important to remember that, when you look at the NCAA, for example, the NCAA uh, is kind of like Paul Tagliabue to the NFL, the commissioner of the NFL. His job is for everyone to get mad at him instead of the owners. Well, when the NCAA makes bad decisions, 
Often it's just them doing stuff on their own. But the biggest decisions, those come from the school presidents and chancellors. And, uh, and that's kind of what to look at when things change on this level. Trevor Mass joins us like he does each and every Wednesday, talking about the college uh, playoff uh, scenario, and uh, we will find out and we'll handicap those games as we get a little bit closer uh, in, uh, on December 30th when uh, both of those games take place, the Sugar Bowl and the Rose Bowl. All right, my friend, the uh, transfer portal is now open, as we know, right? <laughs> you have Kyle McCord, for the Ohio State quarterback, highly regarded, uh, of course, we know Ohio State lost to Michigan and ended their uh, playoff hopes. Dylan Gabriel from Oklahoma, he jumps in the portal, and so many others. Now, there's a 30-day window where these players can get in the portal and basically you know, go, go wherever they want. Um, we see, Trevor, that more and more of this is happening every year. And what... What are the, the the reasons that you would say that we're starting to see just more of an increase with this? And, and where is it going to end? And it, do you think there will ever be like limitations put on this? Because it is, it, it's hard to keep track of. Yeah, you can't stop it. You can limit it like the time frame, which they did. They made the transfer portal, you know, the, the time that you could enter it, you know, they, they, they shortened it. Um, and that's important. I mean, coaches, college coaches, they don't have, they don't have a whole lot of time for their own families anyway. But now with the portal, they got to recruit their own players. They've got to be aware of what's happening in the portal and who's available. Um, you know, roster management's become a nightmare. Uh, and the coaches just have to deal with that. That, that just makes their job tougher. But from a standpoint of, of the players, you know, this combined with NIL makes it free agency, right? And so because players can transfer somewhere one time without having to sit out a year now. So that means that, you know, if you're at, if you're at Oregon and you decide you want to play at USC next week, next year, you can up and transfer without sitting out a year. Now, if you transfer a second time, they make you sit out a year. Uh, but that first one is enough for things to kind of get crazy. And, you know, one of the, one of the coaches, I, I can't remember which one, uh, Power Five coach said that to get a a good quarterback in the transfer portal is going to cost you between one and two million dollars NIL, mm-hmm. right? So there's sort of a going rate, and you know, so so that that combination changes recruiting. It's no longer just a matter of you know you recruit your own state and you recruit your own area and all that stuff. It opens it up for teams like Syracuse and places that aren't in strong recruiting areas because now you come up with NIL, you can get people to come. And keep this in mind too that that college players, like ones that are eligible to go out into the draft, it used to be that often they would come back to play um, college football for another year to increase their ability to make money in the NFL by rising up in the draft because they have another year of college under their belt. That kind of thing. Well, now a lot of those guys are coming back because they can actually, unless you're a you know first round, maybe second round draft choice, you can make more money in NIL in college this year. Than you could going into the NFL next year. So now you got two reasons to stay. One is to continue to develop, but one is you can make a whole lot more money. That's not everybody, but draftable players tend to be kind of in that group. Uh, so there's, so all that is good. But I tell you what, I was been thinking about some of the craziness TC that this, that this causes for how you manage a roster and for coaches. It gets, there's a lot of complications that are just now starting to become known. So we heard that Ohio State 
has 12 players leaving. The very first day, a powerhouse like Ohio State, 12 players leaving. South Carolina, 15 players. What is happening in these schools? And let's talk specifically about Ohio State. I mean, is this a Ryan Day issue, do you think? And 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 is this could be, I don't want to say the beginning of the end of the pure dominance that we've seen with Ohio State in the Big Ten. It's not pure dominance from a football perspective because Michigan is is there. But as we know, it's really pretty much Michigan, Ohio State, and everyone else. Give me some thoughts when you hear about 12 players exiting the very first day. Yeah, it could be problems they have with the with the fit in Ohio State or they don't like the coach or whatever. Uh it could it's it's more likely playing time. They see people ahead of them that, that it looks like they're not gonna be able to get on the field as soon as they want. And by the way, that's how you you know, that's one of the ways you get NIL is to, to do well on the field. Um so that the NIL providers, the collectives, they, they want you to stay kind of a thing. And then NIL, you know, you're not happy with the NIL money you're getting where you are, so you head off somewhere else. Right. So it doesn't, it used to be that, you know, you'd transfer a lot of times because you didn't like the coach or you had a falling out with somebody. Now, now it's, it's usually about the money, um, or about the playing time and the money and the playing time are kind of intertwined. So we'll find out as, as people, you know, talk. I mean, I kind of tend to think that Kyle McCord, who's the Ohio State quarterback this last year, he may have left because he saw writing on the wall that he might not be the next quarterback. Um, I don't know that, but he, uh, it was up and down this last year. And some, some, some games, he looked fantastic. Other games, uh oh, like the Michigan game, he, two key interceptions by him were really the two key plays of the game. One was early in the game and then one was late in the game. And, you know, it, it may be that, you know, and his coach didn't commit to him being the starter next year. He said, well, we'll see how things go. Right. And didn't even commit to him being the starter in the bowl game. So now you got backups that are already there. You got a five-star uh, high school recruit that has committed to Ohio State, and if you're Kyle McCord, you're thinking, "Well, looks like I'm not as valued here as I thought I was going to be." For whatever reason, if I go to a place that really, really needs me, and it looks like Ohio State doesn't think they do, then I have a better chance to play and to get big NIL money. Mm-hmm. And people say that, well, they shouldn't be getting all this NIL money, and I'm thinking, well, you know, I as, as much of a, a nightmare as it causes. I'm thinking just for me, who am I to tell a kid from, you know, 18, 19, 20 year old kid that's got a, a skill in the market? It might be to throw a football. It might be to catch a football that's got a certain value in the market. Who am I to tell that guy he can't maximize that in the place that he thinks he can maximize it? And if he's in, if he's in this boy band and he thinks he's better off transferring to that boy band, who am I to say, no, I like you too much in the first boy band. I'm not going to let you go. That would be, that would be wrong in principle. So as all this stuff happens, I keep coming back to the principle that more freedom for players to access the value financially of what they bring to the table is probably the thing we want to protect the most. I agree. I mean, it's no different to say if, if a player had a job outside and, you know, one, one guy was making 10 bucks an hour, one guy was making a uh, hundred bucks an hour. I mean, it, more power to him. It has no effect on, on the play. It has no effect really in the eligibility, so to speak. And that player can make money through NIL deals. I mean, no one should have a complaint about that whatsoever. I mean, it, it's, it's really, uh, you know, a, a great system when you think about it for the player, but also again, 
again, it just it, it just takes away any controversy or any type of ineligibilities that we would have in years past. You know, when we hear about this, so I I, I agree with you. I, I think it's I yeah. think it's fine. Now, now, the big question here, though, Trevor, is when you're going from one boy band to the other, what is your boy band? Oh, I, I'm not a big boy band guy. Uh, I like good music. I don't care whether it's a boy band or it's a band or it's a solo act. I'm I'm fine with uh, I'm fine with whatever it is. If it's give us good music, good songs, well written, well performed, I'm good with it. But uh, I can't think of a. I I probably could name two boy band songs <laughs> of all the boy bands combined. I didn't know when you you brought up that boy band reference, I figured, okay, he's got a boy band in his back pocket. I mean, he's he's, I he's a closet new kids on the block guy or something. I don't know, you know? No, but but you know what though? I, I can't remember if I told you this. Uh I would did I tell you I went to see the Taylor Swift concert movie? I can't remember if you did or not. I can't remember. I think you yeah, did. No, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Listen, man, I was just so, my brain was so jam-packed full of football stuff. I just had to, you know, <laughs> and, and I had a chance to, to see a movie, and I love music, so I went to see it. You know, again, I, I, I couldn't name 40 or, you know, probably 60% of the songs that she sang. But I'm sitting there listening to these songs, and I'm going, you know what? I've never heard that song before, but that's an amazing hook, and she did such a great job vocally. In, in delivering that song. And, you know, it's just, I was very, very impressed. So it's like movies. You know, my wife hates animated movies, but for me, I don't care if it's, if it's a good story, well told, if it's a good, um, you know, if it's, if it's a good song, well performed, uh, I'm fine with it. I don't care what genre it is. There it is. Uh, who knew Taylor, uh, uh <laughs> Trevor match is a Swifty. I just, I, no, you're I'm probably not, the only I'm not one. A Swifty, not yet. I, I appreciate, I appreciate good storytelling and she's an amazing storyteller. That's it. All right. Uh, quick handicap on army Navy. Go under. I like uh, it. I really, Enough yeah. said. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> hey, what's the uh, under over on combined passes? I'm going to write it down. Uh, 18. You might be a little bit more than normal, right? This year, right? Yeah. A little bit more than normal. Yeah, both sides are throwing the ball a bit more. And I think both sides are going to try to want to game plan against type a little bit. Do you like one team over the but other? It depends on the weather, though. Yeah. What's that? Do you like one team over the other this year? Uh, you know what? I love both teams, and I hate to, you know, I think an Army probably has the edge from the standpoint of their a little bit better team right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but it's like the rivalry games. Washington struggled with Washington State. Georgia struggled with Georgia Tech. Alabama needed a miracle to beat Auburn. So you get these rivalry games, and yeah. you got to look deeper than just who's the better team. Hey, love the pageantry. Trev, I appreciate the time as always. Go get uh, some more rest. Uh, go look at some more tape, and uh, we'll uh, talk to you soon, brother. Great. Thanks, PC. My man, Trevor Maddich, ESPN College Football Guru. Great conversation with him.